America, in the face of our common dangers. Make terms, make terms with the people. To prepare for any eventuality. To reform the entire structure of American government. Let it be said by our children's children that when we were tested, we refused to let this journey end. So we can make it again fully responsive to the needs and the wishes of the American people. You're listening to Coffee and Controlled Chaos. America. Good common sense and sound judgment. America. 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 Hello and welcome to Coffee and Controlled Chaos. I'm your host Maverick and today I will be discussing new leadership in the United States. I hope you are properly caffeinated and ready for a detailed conversation about the current state of this government. I personally have a pot full of Jasmine's Deep Thought Coffee. As I'm sure you know by now, I drink it black, but that is not a criticism on your choice of caffeine. I treat this podcast as my own universe, and here all are welcome. Black coffee, cream, sugar, energy drinks, maybe you prefer tea, or maybe you don't consume caffeine at all. Maybe it's just a glass of water or juice whatever it takes to get you thinking. I may ask you some questions throughout this podcast just to keep your mind engaged, so please join in on your own or shoot me an email at coffeeandcontrolledchaos at gmail.com. Anything you say will be completely confidential, and I'll read whatever you send and give you a shout-out on a future episode. That being said, I had a fan reach out in concern to a past episode, and I'd like to clear the air and say that in my episode about COVID-19, I misspoke. This was brought to my attention by a doctor from the northern United States who reached out to say that a physician is not the proper term to address nurses. This was in reference to my statement about the vaccine being given by licensed personnel, not the everyday Joe. This listener approved of my statements but simply wanted to point out the distinction considering that physician is generally in reference to a doctor. Since it is a lot harder to identify the correct terminology when you're outside of that field, I would just like to say that I greatly appreciate the information and that I am not above correction. If any of you ever hear something that sounds off, especially if you yourself are an expert, feel free to reach out and I will address it as soon as possible. Now, back to this episode. As I'm sure you're aware, we now have a new president. This was a highly anticipated event and I hope that everyone, regardless of political party or affiliation, had a chance to view the inauguration. Not only were there beautiful performances by Lady Gaga and Jennifer Lopez, but I was truly amazed by the Poet Laureate presenter, Amanda Gorman. She gave a wonderful presentation named The Hill We Climb. I highly recommend you look it up and break down the meaning behind those words. I contemplated doing an episode entirely on that poem, but it is so much deeper than any one person can ever explain. That being said, you should find the video or at least the speech transcription and read deep into what she was saying. So, Inauguration Day. The tradition of that day itself stands as an amazing representation of our form of democracy. And despite Trump's absence, or more likely because of Trump's absence, there was a smooth and peaceful transition of power. In many other countries, the newly elected leader takes place the day after or just a few short weeks after the election is finalized. But here in the United States of America, as many as 11 weeks can pass between the first week of November to January 20th. 
And if you think that's a long time, you need to remember that it used to be much longer. In 1789, the Congress of the Confederation set the inauguration day, then called the date for the commencing proceedings, on March 4th due to a terrible winter storm that delayed Washington by eight weeks. All of the following presidents carried out this five-month gap period between election and inauguration. They justified this period based on poll counting and recounting, the travel time between states for information to spread, the physical travel time for getting to the Capitol and simply based it on the precedent set by Washington, just like many other things that he did in his time in office. Now this went on uninterrupted for about 70 years, until 1860, when seven states left the Union to form the beginnings of what would be the Confederate States of America. President-elect Lincoln was powerless to act, while outgoing President Buchanan did nothing to stop it, rather leaving the issue for his successor when it became his turn in March. But by then, it was too late to stop the bleeding and the Civil War was on its way. You'd think that this would show as the perfect reason to move up the date once the war was concluded. But in actuality, it took until 1933 for the 20th Amendment to become ratified. This action pushed the date forward to January 20th, but the actions didn't take effect until the following term, when Roosevelt took his second turn in office. Meaning that another long waiting period took place between President Hoover and President Roosevelt. This period is known most commonly as the near beginning of the Great Depression, another stunning example of this flaw based in waiting for a new leader. Roosevelt couldn't begin his New Deal plan for four months, allowing uncertainty to continue destroying the financial markets. And if you think back to American history class, you'll remember that Roosevelt never really beat the Great Depression. It only ended because of all the new jobs created in the war effort of World War II. Now, fast forward to 2021. What are your thoughts on this change in leadership? Based on my first episode, there was definitely fear of another insurrection that could have led to more. And based on the coronavirus market crash in 2020, there was definitely talks of a new Great Depression. Luckily, there was a quicker trade-off than there was in the 19th and 20th century, and there are now new plans in motion to get things back on track. So I, for one, find myself hopeful, yet cautious. I think we could definitely be on a good course, but with everything, there are drawbacks. Now we, as the American people, have to ask what are the drawbacks, and are they reasonable enough to offset the improvements that are being made to our legislature or governing body? And if they aren't, then we speak up and we speak out. And by that I mean we should peacefully announce our concerns. I do not support radical attacks based in the murky perception of patriotism. That being said, I like Joe Biden. I voted for him, and I think he will straighten a lot of things out. But I will openly disagree with him for the next four years if he is not reasonable with the actions he takes. And that's how it should be. You shouldn't be fanatics blindly following a leader based on what they stand for. Judge people from their actions, not their words. Our country is based strictly on that principle. We were built on the principles of democracy, and historically speaking, every time people have set aside their rights as citizens in order to put more value and emphasis on the voice of one person or the idea of what they stand for, there have been insurrections, 
or worse. So what are these actions I'm talking about? Well, I've been reviewing some of President's actions over the past few days, and I must say that he has certainly been busy. I have been trying to keep up with his moves over the past two weeks, watching C-SPAN, CNN, really any source that I can get my hands on, but he definitely hit the ground running on the 20th, and he has everyone's head spinning as he and his team shape this country in one fail swoop. I have here a list of 30 executive orders that Biden has signed in his first three days of office, more than any other U.S. president in history. 14 of those executive orders were based around the coronavirus, which has been plaguing the nation and the world for the past year. One of these orders returned us to the World Health Organization that President Trump was in the process of removing us from at his leave of office and it put Dr. Anthony Fauci as the head of the delegation to WHO. Biden also formed a plethora of task force positions to help control the pandemic as well as the position of COVID-19 response coordinator, who answers directly to the president and serves as a guide for anything that requires presidential attention involving the outbreak. This task force also advises on the reopening of schools, the development of therapeutics, and the collection, production, and sharing of the data surrounding COVID-19. Another one of the more noticeable actions has been the 100-day mask mandate, which serves as a requirement for all citizens on federal property and for all federal employees to wear a mask and stay physically distant for the remainder of the first 100 days of his term in office. It also urges all state and local governments to do the same. In my opinion, all of the COVID-related orders seem perfectly reasonable and seem to justify the cost of each one. The remainder of those executive orders dealt with regulation, ethics, immigration, economy, equity, and the environment. Some among these were more controversial than others, and I fully intend to get there. But firstly, one of the orders Biden put into place on his first day had to do with regulation. It directed the OMB director to develop recommendations to modernize regulatory review, undoing the prior approval process set by President Trump. OMB stands for Office of Management and Budget, for which Biden has nominated Neera Tondon as director. This position consists of forming the president's budget, as well as examining agency programs, policies, and procedures to see if they comply with the president's policies basically keeping things on track and coordinating interagency policies as well as aiding the president's office. Another of his first orders dealt with ethics, a major issue in the world today. It was set to require executive branch appointees to sign an ethics pledge, barring them from acting in personal interest and requiring them to uphold the independence of the Department of Justice. I don't think anyone is arguing against this. It seems like a pretty straightforward thing. I'm actually a little surprised that this wasn't already in effect, but I suppose things move at their own pace in the executive branch. Some of his immigration policies were known from the beginning to cause some uproar. He extended the deferral of deportation and work authorizations for Liberians with a safe haven in the United States. He fortified DACA after Trump's attempt to undo protections for undocumented people brought into the country as children. He undid Trump's expansion of immigration enforcement within the United States. 
and he reversed the Trump administration's travel ban from seven Muslim-majority countries. He also requires for non-citizens to be included in the census and be given representation through Congress. And some of you may be thinking, why should non-citizens get represented? Well, you have to consider the fact that the U.S. was built through immigration and has the highest immigrant population out of any other country. Almost 15% of the United States population falls under the category non-citizen Americans, not to be confused with the overly publicized word illegal immigrant. These are just people living life and they deserve representation as much as the next person does. And for anyone who would say 15% isn't that much, consider that percentage across the nation. In absolute numbers, it is over 47 million people. But the most anticipated order on immigration was the order that halted the construction of the border wall, more commonly referred to as Trump's wall. The Biden administration did this by terminating the national emergency declaration that was used to fund it. In case you forgot, in 2019, President Trump established that the southern border security was a national emergency, giving the wall project access to the $8 billion that was set aside for border security in the earlier spending bill. I know that many people have mixed feelings over the wall, so I fully intend to create a full-length episode dedicated to those opinions and viewpoints. But for now, let's discuss the remainder of his first orders focusing on economy, equity, and the environment. For economy, the Biden administration extended the existing pause on student loan payments and interest for Americans with federal student loans until at least September 30th. They also extended the existing nationwide moratorium on evictions and foreclosures until at least March 31st. And for anyone mad at that, recognize the words existing and extending. These rules were already in place from the prior administration. He is simply keeping them around for a while longer and is more than likely planning to expand on them. So if you're mad now, you should have been mad months ago when it happened. But with another order, he is calling for assistance for those who are struggling to buy food, who missed out on the stimulus checks, or who are unemployed. The only reversal this far on economy is the order that restores collective bargaining power and worker protections for federal workers and lays the foundation for a $15 minimum wage. A lot of people have a problem with that, and I've heard many different reasons why, and I must say some are quite compelling. Though I won't spend much time on that in this episode, but if you have any thoughts, comments, or concerns having to do with the economy, please send me an email at coffeeandcontrolledchaos at gmail.com. I will also reiterate that he's only set the groundwork for a $15 minimum wage. He can't make an executive order to immediately change the minimum wage. There's a lot more technical information as far as the law goes with that. But for equity, Biden rescinded the Trump administration's 1776 commission and is directing agencies to review their actions to ensure racial equity. Trump's 1776 commission was an advisory committee established in September 2020. It was established in an attempt to support what Trump called patriotic education. Trump's point was that he did not like that America was often painted in a bad light. And he wanted patriotic views taught to children in schools. The main issue with that is 
Sadly enough, throughout history, the United States of America is the bad guy. So the term patriotic education was quickly mocked by historians and called pseudo-history, or just simply lies. Historians said that the 1776 report is a puerile, politically reactionary document. One historian, David Blight, author of the Frederick Douglass biography, Prophet of Freedom, tweeted, It doesn't really use evidence except to employ funding documents and too many quotations out of context. Which to me sounds like a perfect explanation for anything involving President Trump or his viewpoints. And as expected, the commission was made entirely from Trump's old white men buddies without a single expert. Blight calls the report laughable and goes on to say that no legitimately trained historian or teacher could make it through without nausea. Now, I can respect the concept of showing highlights of the good things that America has done and appreciating the values that helped solidify this country. But at the end of the day, this country has seen dark times, and it has its fair share of blood on its hands from events that will forever stain. Hiding that will only further exacerbate the issues that started it in the first place. The only way out of the darkness that we were in is to be honest and accept what happened and the ability to learn from our mistakes and prevent history from repeating itself. Another thing that Biden did for equity from these executive orders is based around the prevention of discrimination. He signed an order to prevent workplace discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity. And for anyone that has a problem with that, keep it to yourself. I don't care why you don't support it. I don't care what your justification is. Anyone who stands for discrimination or stands against people's given freedoms can quietly step out of the way. For the last of his orders that I have not spoken on are surrounding the topic of the environment. As some of you may know, I am a huge advocate for protecting the environment and keeping Earth alive. Reusable straws, reusable bottles, getting rid of one-time use plastics and other throwaway materials that are bad for the environment, I'm all for it. I want the planet, its ozone, and all animals on Earth to have the same rights that the people on Earth deserve. We have slowly made progress toward this goal. More and more people are recognizing the importance and speaking out against harmful companies and corporations. One of Biden's big steps was returning us to the Paris Climate Accord, which I'm sure you know is an agreement by 195 countries in an attempt to combat climate change. Trump removed us from this accord because he thought it would undermine the U.S. economy. This was in reference to the strain brought on by the U.S.'s pledge to help stop this increase in global warming. But he didn't speak to the fact that the U.S. is one of the world's leading contributors to the global warming issue. His claims have now been sidestepped by Biden as he brings us back into the fold in an attempt to reach net zero and protect our environment. But keep in mind that the Paris Accord alone will not be enough to fix the problem. It's simply a first step. I urge you to look up simple ways that you can fight global warming. 
renewable energy in your homes, weatherize your house with insulation and sealant. This will cut down on the heating and air's power usage, buy energy efficient appliances, reduced water waste, buy better light bulbs, turn off the lights, and unplug unused appliances. Do anything that you can in order to cut down your carbon profile. You'd be surprised how easy it is to help. The last order that I'll bring up is the cancellation of the Keystone Pipeline. If you've been paying attention lately, you have heard that name. A lot of people are mad about this action because they think they should be. But let's take a second and talk about this order. The Keystone Pipeline is an oil pipeline system commissioned in 2010, owned by TC Energy, and as of March 2020, the government of Alberta, Canada. Building the Keystone Pipeline and opening the tar sands will negatively impact the national and local economy. Not to mention that burning the recoverable tar sands will raise the Earth's temperature by a minimum of 2 degrees Celsius. The state and local economies are already buckling under the real-time economic effects of our nation's dependence on fossil fuels. Cornell University also did an analysis that showed that the Midwest refined oil would have been sold to the Gulf Coast and export markets at a higher rate, meaning that your gas prices would have gone up by 10 to 20 cents per gallon. And the same fossil fuel interests pushing the Keystone Pipeline have also been cutting jobs rather than creating them. Despite billions of dollars worth of profits, ExxonMobil, Chevron, Shell, and BP have slashed through their workforce, mostly minimum wage employees, diminishing it by thousands while simultaneously paying their corporate executives upwards of $200 million a year. It also goes to show the rising level of unemployment brought on by the storms affecting these companies over the past decade. Hundreds of thousands more left looking for jobs or support in the wake of the hurricanes and oil spills that have happened over the last decade. One of my favorite comments that I have seen about the situation said, the pipeline is in the United States, not for the United States. Which seems to be true. The companies in want for this project's completion would have had international export profits and sold the majority of their product there giving little support to the country that it was taken from, as per usual. So, instead of giving billions of dollars in subsidies to these oil companies, we should spend that money on something that will actually create jobs while also protecting the planet. We need to build a sustainable economy, not a pipeline. With our nation in desperate need for jobs, we shouldn't link ourselves to the Keystone Project, It'll put us on a path guaranteed for loss and could also bring down our already fragile economy in the process. Finding alternative energy solutions is the best possible answer to all of our problems. Not simply looking for our next fix in the fossil fuel addiction. And I didn't really talk about the immediate downfalls of the Keystone Project, but consider the grand level of ecological isolation and destruction that would have taken place through its building process. Just in the United States, it would have been a three foot wide pipe spanning over a thousand miles from north to south. 
countless animal species would have been uprooted or separated, and much more land would have been disturbed. It also would have run dangerously close to large amounts of drinking water and food sources. And it's simply foolish to say that there won't be inevitable spills. There always are. And on top of everything that I've mentioned, the pipeline was set to run straight through land given to the Sioux Nation in the treaties of Fort Laramie in 1851 and 1868, which state that no outside entity can use the land without the consent of the tribe. The Sioux leaders have spoken out to say that if the country goes through with this, it will be considered an act of war against the Sioux people. Which I don't know if you remember from history class, but you don't want to mess with the Sioux. The last thing this nation needs is a war, especially the revival of a centuries-old war from which this country stole the land in the first place. So if you are defending the Keystone XL pipeline, maybe reconsider, or at least do some more research on the drawbacks. I personally think that what they are asking is too unreasonable to outweigh the so-called benefits from it. But do your own research and let me know what you find. So that was certainly a lot of information all at once. And I still feel like none of it was covered to the fullest extent. And while I'm getting ready to wrap up this episode, I want you to remember that this was only the first three days of Biden's term in office. So much more has happened since then. So please look out for future episodes and we'll try to keep it on track for more of the things that President Biden has been up to. But for now, my cup is empty, so it's time to end the show. Thanks for listening and until next time. America! 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 Our economy. Make terms. Make terms with the people. With the people. To prepare for any eventuality. To reform. Reform. Democratic Let system. Let by our children's children that when we were tested, we, we refused, refused to let this journey end. So we can make it again fully responsive to the needs and the wishes. Pride of the American people. Our common days. Good common sense and sound judgment. Justice. America, 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 America,